Welcome back to the IU Panthers podcast as we begin our third season of episodes covering Eastern Illinois athletics with interviews with current and former coaches, athletes, and administrators. I'm your host, Rich Moser, and we kick off season three with a conversation with former EIU golfer, Ryan Jackson. Jackson recently competed in the inaugural USGA Adaptive Open, placing second in the women's field. She talks about this unique experience and how she was able to qualify for it. In addition, she gives us insight on how she made her way from Florida to EIU and what the game of golf has meant to her. As we begin our third season of EIU Panthers podcast, Consolidated Communications is a proud sponsor of Eastern Illinois Athletics. Want to learn more about broadband for your home or business? Then visit consolidated.com today to learn more. Season tickets for the 2022 EIU football season are now on sale with single game tickets available on Monday, August 1st. Schedules for all of EIU's fall sports have been released along with full schedules for the upcoming men's and women's basketball seasons, which would which were just released this week. EIU would like to welcome to the staff new head coaches Josh Oakley with men's soccer and Jonathan Jordan with the swimming programs. We plan to have both on as guests on the EIU Panthers podcast in the coming weeks. Now to this week's episode of EIU Panthers podcast, number 81 in our series with former EIU golfer, Ryan Jackson. And welcome to another edition of EIU Panthers podcast. We are joined today by Ryan Jackson. She is a former Eastern Illinois women's golfer and most recently played in the USGA Adaptive Open. We'll go through that and a couple other topics today. But first of all, thanks for joining us, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. And I pause if you can hear a little bit on that when I say her name. It's 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 spelled R-Y-A-N-N-E. And I'm, I'm going to guess that in the course of your life, you probably have had that misspelled numerous times or mispronounced numerous times. Yeah, for sure. I've gotten Rianne a lot <laughs> and I get Ryan a lot. Okay. Well, and I ask about that and not, not necessarily in a joking manner, but we, we talked about you played in the USGA um, Adaptive Open and for we're going to explain what that is. But my guess is that it's very similar to people that have watched golf with the Masters, the US Open, those types of things where a starter announces you and they say now on the tee from your hometown that it was it was it pronounced correctly then I guess that's probably the most important part it, it was pronounced correctly and that's because um, as we were kind of getting set up getting our rule sheet getting our pin placements swapping scorecards the guy was like okay it's Ryan and I was like yes and I think every <laughs> chance he had to say Ryan he said he was like okay you're going to have Ryan's scorecard. Ryan's going to be on the team now. And I kind of looked at my caddy uh, who actually graduated from Eastern also. And I was like, he's definitely trying to say it as much as possible yep. before he has to do it live. And she's like, yes. As somebody who's spoken publicly at, at events, I a hundred percent agree with what he was doing. And I still have, though, even though I've said it and even written it down, I've said it wrong sometimes at, at those things. So I, I understand that sometimes practice makes perfect in those situations. Um, so we talk about the, the U.S. Adaptive Open. I guess, first of all, explain to people a little bit what that is. That is a, a national tournament. It was a national championship. You finished second in that event on, on the women's side. So congratulations, first of all, on, on a, a really good finish on that. And but we'll talk a little bit about explain to people that may not understand what that is, 
what the event is. And then we'll, as we go through the podcast here today, we'll talk a little bit about how, how you kind of got into that. Yeah. So this was the inaugural U.S. Adaptive Open. It's the okay. USGA's 15th official U.S. Open that they host along with like the U.S. Open, the U.S. Women's Open, U.S. Seniors Open and all that. Uh, what they did was divide it into eight impairment categories. So okay. people with disabilities, we went through kind of a lengthy process of being divided into these categories. So I was in the neurological category. There was also leg impairment, arm impairment, vision impairment, and so on and so forth. And so what you had to do was basically prove you were an adaptive golfer. So golfed by means other than the common type, I guess that you would say. Um, and you had to have a certain handicap, I guess, handicap index through the USGA to be able to play. So out of 299 applicants, 18 women were selected out of a field of 96 total. Okay. And then you, you talk about that. They were broken into the, the different categories and 18 women. So there were 18 women overall, I'm guessing, in the adaptive open. It wasn't 18 in, a, in each one of those categories. Correct. There were 18 women. And what they tried to do was have two females representing each category. And unfortunately, because uh, first women's golf isn't as known and as participated in as men's golf, that didn't necessarily happen. Uh, there were two people in my impairment category, but only one in the multiple limb amputation category, only one in vision impairment and only one in seated category. And then um, because you've, you've kind of gone to there and you mentioned already the neurological and I, I know we, we talked a little bit before we, we did the podcast here. You're, I want to make sure and I want to make sure your comfort level with talking about that on the USGA site. They did a good job of, I think, trying to describe the categories for each one of the players that and, and how they qualified for that. But this is something that you, you kind of have been dealing with and, and you played with for a number of years as a golfer. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with scapuloperineal muscular dystrophy about six years ago, my freshman year of college, and I was at Gardner-Webb at the time, and so I had been, I noticed that I was maybe more challenged in some areas physically than other people, mostly because I played basketball and didn't notice it as much in golf, but as I continue get old, to get older, I can tell that I do have a lot more fatigue and I maybe swing a bit different than others would. But I feel that the USGA did a really good job of putting us into categories. Initially, I was sorted into the arm impairment category and I kind of called and I was like, um, I mean, I do have a diagnosed neuromuscular disorder. Why am I not in the neurological category, like that just seems to make the most sense. Yeah. And they were very willing to kind of reopen my medical documents that I had submitted and talk to different doctors. And there was just because it was the first time they had ever done this event, they had certain standards that they were looking at. And when they came across me, I didn't fit 
100% into their requirements. And they ended up going back, talking to a bunch of doctors, talking to me and finding that, yes, I should be in the neurological category and that. So it was nice that they were willing to make those changes to kind of accommodate how I wanted to be represented in my disability. And I would guess that that yours may be the neurological ones, maybe the hardest to the layperson to diagnose. And I, I can imagine this is, was probably some of their struggles as they they see you and they they look at you and they're like, "Well, okay, she's got a neurological disorder, but can we really tell what that is?" Whereas, like you mentioned, you played with some people that are amputees, or there's somebody in a wheelchair. That visually, that that's where people's mind, I think, I think goes to and. Like you said, it's good that the USGA was very willing to this going the first time. I'm sure that they wanted to be very cautious and make sure that this was a fair championship to to all the different categories. Yeah, I agree. I know uh, going into it, coming from collegiate golf, where I felt like I fit in because I was a female golfer, but didn't necessarily feel like 100% apart just because, you know, I got a golf cart like the NCAA allowed me to use a golf cart instead of having to walk the course. So I didn't necessarily fit in in that regard. But even going to the USGA event, I was nervous because if you stood everyone in a line, the overwhelming majority of people were there because they because of limb loss. So you can physically see like, okay, that person is an adaptive golfer. So I was really concerned going in like, am I still going to be an outsider in this event? But I really feel like the USGA and the other competitors accepted me and tried to understand like, okay, she may not have, like, you know, she may not be missing a limb, but she's also impaired. And what she's doing is just as impressive as what we're doing. And then now going forward for this, and I I guess I don't know a, a lot about this, the USGA, they held a championship for this. But this being the inaugural one and, you know, people of all sorts, shapes, whatever you want to say, enjoy golf, that that, that they want to make it a very open game and a very appealing game. Will there be like qualifiers to try to come to these types of things or and then how does that maybe work for you having finished so high? Did you do you maybe get some exemptions, at least for the next one? Uh, Unfortunately, I don't get official exemption the winner does get a five-year exemption into the championship but I'm thinking because of how I placed I'm hoping that they invite me back and because I know that the neurological impairment category is a lot smaller than other ones I'm thinking you know uh, even if a whole bunch of female neurologically impaired golfers come up I'm still hopefully one that's kind of at the top of that group Mm -hmm. um but yeah I'm excited for hopefully being able to go back next year and winning the big trophy now in addition to you guys being able to do this it's not like they just pick some community course to go to you guys played and for for those that haven't followed the stories they held it at, at Pinehurst Pinehurst number two is the the glorious course that everybody hears about, but you guys played at Pinehurst number six. So the same resort, the same, or the same complex, I'm sure just as challenging of a course in in some aspects, because the USGA, they're going to be notorious for making every championship 
as difficult as it can be for the level of golfer that they're holding that championship for. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, one of the, the second dinner I got to go to that the USGA held, they kind of explained their reasoning behind Pinehurst number six, because you talk to people and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm getting to play at Pinehurst. And the first thing they ask is you're getting to play Pinehurst number two. Yeah. It's like, no, it's Pinehurst number six. And a lot of people are probably like, I didn't even know Pinehurst had six courses. Um, but with the adaptive field that they were having, Pinehurst number two doesn't allow carts, okay. at least allow carts off the cart path. They do have a cart path, but you cannot take the carts off the path. So that obviously wouldn't work because you have people who are literally playing golf out of a golf cart. So they need to be able to go on the greens and just everywhere. Uh, the second reason that they picked Pinehurst number six was because the cart paths don't have curbs They're The majority of them are flat. There's very few that have a rounded curb okay. around the green, but you can't have something that someone needs to clear, I guess, with their foot. Uh, and then another big reason was sand traps like Pinehurst number two, you're going to have huge, deep sand traps. And you have people again, who are playing out of a cart who are going to need to be able to go into the bunkers and hit out. So they need access to drive their cart into the bunker and then back out to make it fair for them. So they don't have to take a penalty to move their ball. So I thought it was super interesting, those reasons behind that. And it makes me grateful for having the opportunity to play Pinehurst number six and kind of allow Pinehurst village to showcase one of their courses that they're very proud of that doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And then in an average conversation, if you ever just want to boast yourself up, you can tell people that you shot the score you shot just at Pinehurst and leave the number off and let them, <laughs> let them kind of assume what they want to assume. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you Speaking of, of shooting, you, you shot an incredible score there. Three rounds of, of 80 for a, a total of, of 240. You were in second place, as we mentioned, in, in the field. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Is that a... a an, and I don't know enough about this. I know everybody you said was weighted with a handicap on the score sheet. It doesn't say that was, so was it a, a straight 80 or did you shoot 83? And then they, they take your, your three strokes handicap off and do that with all the golfers or how, how did that work? No, it was just 80. Okay. I okay. definitely asked that going into the tournament. That was I don't know if it was necessarily a concern of mine that it was going like the handicaps were going to be taken into consideration, but I know for my particular impairment category, I was going in as a 3.7 handicap index and my competition, I guess you could say, um, like within my category was like a 30 handicap. So I was (laughs) thinking, you know, like I could go out and shoot 70 and she could shoot 99 and beat me. Yes. (laughs) And so like, it wasn't, I don't want to say it was a concern because I feel like that sounds bad that, Oh, like, Oh, I had to play so good to beat when the whole point of a handicap system is to make it fair. But I, that was one of the first questions I asked was, is it going to be gross or net? And they said that it was all going to be gross scoring. So that made me feel a bit better that I had a chance to play well and have it shown that I played well. 
Now, some of the people that, that you played with there, this was your, your first tournament at, at this level. This was the first USGA Adaptive Open. Did you did you meet players maybe on the men's and the women's side since it was it was a both genders were there at the same time that maybe have been doing this for a while? It sounds like this is kind of a, a new eye-opening experience to you, but I, I'm going to guess this has been around for a while. They just didn't magically come up with this overnight. Yeah, I had no idea that adaptive golf was a thing until I saw the USGA announcing this tournament. And all the women the first two days were paired up with groups of three men, just based on overall numbers. And I think they were a bit concerned about speed of play. And so at first I was nervous to play with people. I saw that two of the guys I were playing with were professional golfers. So you see that and you're thinking, oh gosh, like they could go out and shoot under par. Yeah. And that's always something that makes me a bit nervous. <laughs> but um, I went out and the guys that I played with were awesome. I played with two amputees and one of the guys had scoliosis and just getting to talk with them and then being, they already kind of all knew each other, it seemed like. So to be kind of invited in and then meet people that they knew within the adaptive community was good for me, okay. forced me to be social. And then it sounds like one of the other things that was a little bit of a calming force, you mentioned it already earlier that on your bag, your, your caddy was a, a former teammate, Mackenzie O'Brien, also a, a former EIU women's golfer. How did you, is Mackenzie down in North Carolina? You, you live down in Florida now as we're, we're taping this podcast. Is, is she down there with you or did you just, you guys built that kinship and figured she would be the person that would calm you the most in this type of situation? Yeah, so Mackenzie is in Iowa, okay. and when the USGA announced this event back in December, I kind of jokingly said, oh, you know, if I apply for this and qualify, you need to be my caddy, and that was before I thought I even had a chance to get into this event, and so we kind of just kept joking about it and joking about it until right up until the very end when all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I actually have been put into this event. Are you serious about flying to North Carolina and caddying for me? And she said, yeah, let me get the days off work. And she did. She flew down and caddied for three days for me. That had to be a good experience there. And it probably just a, a calming sense in the fact that you guys know each other. And like you said, you were trying to, you were meeting new people in the adaptive world. And while they were very welcoming it's it's always good to have a face that you know if a shot doesn't go well for you that you know can be a calming force for you yeah I don't know how much talk about golf or advice was given but the mood was definitely lightened after a bad shot we yeah. just kind of forget about it and move forward and I think that her being my caddy was one of the better decisions that was made very good now we talk about former teammate at Eastern you mentioned already that you started your, your collegiate career at Gardner-Webb when you were had your neuro, neurological diagnosis. You transferred from there. You ended up finishing your, your career at Palm Beach Atlantic. I think that's – or on Palm Beach Atlantic. Okay, I had that right. Palm Beach, I, yep. I had it three written down, and I'm like, did I put those <laughs> words correctly on my, on my paper? So you finished undergrad there, and then you, you come to grad school to play at Eastern what was going to be one year, but due to COVID, you got, of course, the, the two years – 
what was in the the decision to to come to Eastern for somebody that's from down in the southeast, lives in Florida, coming to play golf in in Central Illinois is probably not real high on the uh, the checklist. Yeah, I definitely got a lot of how did you end up here when I was at Eastern, but. Uh, so I graduated with my undergrad degree in history from Palm Beach Atlantic University. And then with COVID, I realized I got a year of eligibility back. And after redshirting my freshman year, I was thinking, okay, that's two years. I could go somewhere and get my master's. So I started looking around at different schools and trying to find a master's of history program and a golf team that I could realistically play for. And there are very few of them. So uh, Eastern was one of three schools that I found out of a search of probably 250. So um, I contacted Coach Monsell and I feel like he was able to make it affordable for me to come here. And also I just feel like I had the best over the phone relationship, I guess, with Coach Monsell. He seemed to actually want me to be at Eastern. And so I feel like that's always appealing when it seems like someone is interested in you coming to their school. Okay. When you talk about Coach Monsell, I think maybe, I think most people have met him. Maybe not a lot of people haven't. Maybe the most laid back person you would ever meet from a a golf coach. Yeah, I think that's probably why we got along so well. I think that Coach Monsell has been probably the most realistic coach that I've played for. He knew that with the players he had and the funds that he has through Eastern, he's probably not going to show up at a tournament and just blow the competition away. Mm -hmm. And I think that was refreshing coming from a school of similar ability as Eastern and having a coach think that we're just going to win every tournament when that probably wasn't the case yeah. considering the teams we were playing against in that conference down in Florida. Now I've noticed that my, 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 my take on, and I've known coach Monsell for a number of years is I think you're, you're right on the head there is he has an idea of realistic expectation of what each of the ladies on the team can shoot. And then, so I think he judges it more based on, you know, should every one of the ladies be shooting 80? Well, if they all shoot 80, then we had a a good day. We may be dead last. We may be in first place, but I think he has a number for where he thinks Eastern should finish. And then however that, and that's where he judges each of the individual leaders and then the team performance. Yeah. Which I really appreciated because he expected us to do our best and knew what we could shoot but didn't expect us to go out and all of a sudden be able to shoot 65. Yeah. Now you've talked about, we've talked about you were at Gardner Webb, played at Palm Beach Atlantic at Eastern. We'll go back a little bit before. How do you kind of, how did you kind of get in to golf? Everybody is one of those things. Is it a, I think if I'm not mistaken, your dad was maybe a high school coach in golf. And so that I'm going to guess very early on, you probably were given a set of clubs and didn't maybe have a choice. Yeah. So uh, my dad played three sports in college. He played basketball, golf, and baseball. So my oldest sister, Danielle, is 10 years older than me. And so when she got to about fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade, she said, dad, I want to play golf. And before that, he hadn't really thought about us playing golf. 
but he was like, okay. So they get to Northside Christian, which is where we all graduated from. And they didn't have a golf team in middle school. So my dad started the program because my sister wanted to play golf. And then my sister, who was two years younger than her, Morgan, started playing golf. And then me come around eight years later, you know, you're two years old and your parents have cut down a set of actual golf clubs and just say like, all right, let's go into the backyard and start hitting them. Now you've you got to do that. So you've been around golf your whole life. One of the, the things I've talked to people, a couple different golfers on, on the podcast over the couple of years that we've done these and I always ask them, what do they kind of enjoy about it? And, and most of them, it's the fact that they get to play some courses as golfers that they wouldn't probably have gotten to play just, just by themselves. Is that, would that be the kind of the same sentiment that you had in terms of your experience, the, the kind of the courses that you got to play? And if so, maybe what's one that, that stuck out during your college experience? Um, that's a good question. I feel like for the longest time, I've had the mindset that I didn't really have a choice to play golf or not. I mean, okay. I knew when I was in middle school, my sisters were already in college playing golf on golf scholarships. So I feel like I knew from a young age, the expectation was, you know, we're going to college and the way that we're going to pay for college is we're going to hit this golf ball yeah. and we're going to be pretty good at it. But I think looking back, the enjoyment has come out of weirdly just the road trips okay. and the memories with teammates. Obviously, occasionally there's some really memorable rounds. I think when you have a really good round, it's always exciting and you tend to like those courses a lot more than the ones that you play poorly. Yeah. But yeah, I think a lot of it's more the memories that you create around golf with the people that you're with than the actual golf. Okay. And then we're talking to, to Ryan Jackson. We're talking, she was the second in the U S adaptive women's or the, uh, I want to say open. I want to say women's open because like we talked about, it's you, the USGA hosts a number of championships and most of them are divided by, by gender, but this one actually surprisingly was not, it was just called the adaptive open. They did have a male in a, a female category for you living down in Florida now, got, I think you mentioned already have the master's in history. So is, is that now a career for you? You're, you're teaching, able to use that, or is that a stepping stone to, to something else? Yeah. Uh, when I was up at Eastern, I was offered a job teaching high school history at the school that I graduated from the high school I graduated from. And so I took it. I'm not sure if teaching is necessarily where I see myself long term, but I think that just accepting the job was a good opportunity for me to see if, okay, can I deal with freshmen and sophomores and or like even do I like teaching because I have no idea what I want to do. And this is obviously a good way to feel like I'm using a degree that I worked pretty hard for. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, Ryan. Once again, congratulations on the, the second place finish at the U.S. Adaptive Open. And thanks for being open with us in terms of what that event is and kind of where it gets to go. And congratulations on being part of the inaugural one. That That's something, regardless of how you finished in it, you know, that was going to be a, probably a life-changing, memorable experience for the rest of your life. 
Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. 